You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Within um, theological circles, there is a particular branch called eschatology. Now, that is the, the study of the end times. And within eschatology, there is a whole gamut of different theories, but one of them is called postmillennialism. And my daughter-in-law, Beck, sent me a little, a little text recently to say that that school of thought, post-millennialism, um, has, has just kind of given, given it up now. They've, they've laid it down. Why? Well, because of this. Post-millennialism believes that uh, essentially before Christ returns, uh, throughout the millennial age, uh, the there will be a golden age of Christian ethics where everything that we love and cherish about the righteousness of God will start to take a, a much more firmer grip on society. Now, this particular school of thought exists here in Australia, but also in America, and it's the American school of thought that have lost confidence that there ever will be a golden age. They now believe, as they face a presidential election, it's either going to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Therefore... It is impossible, it is impossible that there will be ever a golden age. Therefore, post-millennialism is dead. Wow, wow. It was fascinating. It's a serious article. Fascinating to, to see people look at the end times, look at our society today, and actually make a decision that, you know what, it's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen that way at all. As we think about society and as we think about being a, well, seeking to transform society and, and seeking to be a, and influence ourselves for the better, what actually will make the difference? Really, what is it going to be? What will make the difference? Is there somewhere in you know, the, the political arena here in Australia or the US or the UK, is there some figure that waits to be discovered who is going to be able to make society a better place and, and, and usher in something of the, the Christian ethics that we know bind a society together? What will make the difference? Can we expect good times? Can we expect things to get better? What is it will make the difference? Historically speaking, we know that it was that moment when Jesus Christ chose 12 people. I was reading a, a, a book um, on one occasion. It was a secular author, no Christian beliefs whatsoever, the 100 most influential people in the world. Number two was Jesus Christ. The author didn't even, didn't even argue his existence or not. It was, it was just a matter of fact. Uh, historically speaking, the, the author uh, knew that to be the case. Number one was the Apostle Paul. Fascinatingly, historically speaking, nobody has influenced society in the same way that Jesus and the Apostle Paul as a secular, secular author agreed to that. So historically, we know that that moment when Jesus commissioned 12 disciples and, 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 and said, you know, I want you to turn the world upside down, it happened. Biblically speaking, we actually know that it wasn't just 12 ordinary people. No, wasn't at all. Biblically speaking, it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, therefore, in the book of Acts, there's this, I guess, ongoing debate. Should we call it the, the Acts of the Apostles or should we call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? 
I think it comes down on the side of the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, it is the Holy Spirit, ultimately, that, that makes the difference. Next Sunday, actually, uh, some, some denominations, or demonizations, de- denominations, some denominations will, will celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Uh, that is the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension. So historically, it was 12 men who turned the world upside down. Biblically speaking, it really was the Holy Spirit within them. Practically speaking, how is it that the Holy Spirit within you or I or anyone can make a difference? Through abiding in Jesus Christ. We have this wonderful promise that nobody in Old Testament times could share. It was God and you under certain conditions. But now it is God in you. And you in God. And that changes everything. And so once more, we could say, well, what would make the difference? What would make the difference would be just 12 good people. Wholly given over to the Holy Spirit. But it does seem that this relationship between the Holy Spirit and us needs some degree of maintenance. That we just can't take it for granted that I've been born again, the Spirit of God lives within me, everything's going to be different. Yes, that's true. And yet, Jesus makes it very, very clear that even as he abides in us or remains in us, we too are to abide in him and to remain in him. There's a, there's a, a, a dual relationship of responsibility here. I will abide in you, you must abide in me. And there is this very, very beautiful picture that we have been studying for the last couple of years about the vine and the branches. Of all the pictures that Jesus could have used to talk about this, this new type of relationship between God and man, the vine and the branches must be one of the most, most beautiful and most intimate. Here is, here is Jesus looking at, at his creation, noticing the relationship between a flourishing vine and the branches that are bearing forth fruit. And he says, that's it. That's it. You're just like that branch. And look at it. Look at it just, just you know, falling to the ground, heavy with fruit. And why does that work? It's because it is connected to the vine. And in the vine is life. In me, there is life. And when you are connected to me, I will make your life heavy with fruit to the Father's glory. It's been a while, so why don't you open up your Bibles? It hasn't been a while since you've opened up your Bibles, hopefully, to John chapter 15, and let's read together this amazing allegory of the vine and the branches. John chapter 15. While you're looking for it, we're going to read verses 5 on together, but... But Jesus has just declared, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Here's this beautiful picture of our heavenly father, the gardener, who is very, very attentive to his garden. Did you know that? Your daddy loves to garden. He does. He does. And it's a trait that that we're supposedly to pick up too. He cuts off those branches that bear no fruit, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Greek, he cleans, he prunes and he cleans so that it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 5, let's just read read this 
through to verse 8. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, today, many of you, particularly those of you who are mothers, are going to receive a bunch of cut flowers. And hopefully, you know, they look reasonably good. If they have been born within, bought within the last 24, 48 hours or so, they, they should look reasonable. However, a week from now, how are they going to look? Yeah, pretty dead, because they're cut flowers. They're not connected to anything, and they've got a lifespan. Well, you and I are not supposed to be cut flowers. We are supposed to be a branch connected intimately and beautifully to a vine which has life flowing through it. Therefore, the possibility of ongoing, an ongoing fruitful life is... Is Well, it is just that. It is very, very possible in Jesus Christ. Every time you look at those flowers, remind yourself, beautiful as they are, they've got a limited lifespan. They are not connected to the source of life. Sorry if I just spoiled that symbol of Mother's Day and beauty and everything like that. But I want you to be reminded as you look at all those cut flowers, you know what? They're going to die. They're going to die because they're not connected to the source of life. And you and I are to remain connected to that source of life. We are part of a living vine with the very life of Jesus Christ flowing, flowing through us. But not only is Jesus abiding in us, we must abide in him. And here is a little bit of the mystery of the Christian life. And we've been exploring this whole notion of abiding in Jesus Christ. And except for a little bit of more expanding on the E, Envoys of Grace, we, we're pretty much there. Now it's simply homework time. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I think we've pretty much explored just about as best as we can what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. And I think the only thing that remains now is for us to commit to putting it into practice. Because that will make the difference. And, and let me say, apart from that, we can do nothing. But apart from that, there will be no difference in this world. Just 12 of us continuing to abide, maintain that beautiful, intimate connection with Jesus Christ. Just 12 of us abiding in Jesus Christ can, can turn this world upside down. I believe it because, I've, because I believe it's happened before. It can happen again. But of course, there's more than 12 here, and I quite anticipate that more than just 12 of us are going to commit to this. But that maintenance of that relationship with Jesus Christ and that, that, that firm connection, that's it. That's the challenge now for us. It's not just to know it here, but it is to, to let this permeate every aspect of our life. Now, it's time to abide. Enough talk. There's really nothing else to say. But there's much to do. It's abiding time. It's time where, yes, we glorify God, 
by bearing much fruit, and that will come as a result of abiding in him. There's our challenge. That's the challenge to abide. And is not something that you're going to get in a week. So be encouraged here. You will spend the rest of your life attempting to abide and to remain in Jesus Christ. We explored a number of disciplines that will help us. Now, spiritual disciplines, and there's many of them. We've just explored five general categories. There's many, many, many different spiritual disciplines. But disciplines really are like just, just, just opening little channels for grace to flow through. It is the grace of God flowing through your life that will make the difference. The disciplines are making sure that we are not in any way obstructing that grace, that there is nothing in our life that, that inadvertently is somehow blocking the grace that Jesus wants to flood through our life to transform us so that we can transform the world. That's what the discipline's about. And, and you know, as soon as, as soon as we look at five disciplines or categories of discipline, you know, um, A, B, I, D, and E, somebody could say, ah, but surely that's not it. Surely there's six. Absolutely. Or seven. Or eight. Or nine. Or ten. Or, you know what? Yes, there's, there's more than that. But here's five that we've been intentionally looking at and have have kind of set up in a memorable way that I believe we can put into practice now. So just by way of reminder, firstly, A means to, to practice that discipline of being all together in this. This is no solo effort. You don't have to feel lonely in this. You don't have to feel like, oh, Lord, it's only me. You don't, no, no, we're all together in this. And that's the way it is supposed to be. Hebrews 10.24 was a key verse in this regard for us. That we were to spur one another on. Do not give up the habit of meeting together. Spur one another on. Now spur, think of a prickly thing on your ankle and kicking it into a horse. Let's do that to each other in love, right? <laughs> the idea here is that a spur works when you've got proximity. What happens when you're not doing well? What is the most natural thing to do? You've had a bad day. Sin has got a grip on you. Life just stinks. You're feeling down. What is the most natural reaction in that moment? It's the same as the one in the Garden of Eden. Go hide. Why do we do that? <laughs> On the one occasion when we really should be pushing in and gathering around each other, why on that occasion do we listen to the whisper of the enemy and go hide? I mean, there is a word in the Greek for that. It's called dumb. <laughs> That's just dumb. Why do we do why do we fall for it every time? We're hurting. Life is tough. Uh, things are just difficult. So we remove ourselves from everybody who could, who could love on us. That's a great Southern American term. But we remove ourselves from the very family who is going to encourage us and spur us on. And we go hide. Folks, let's not do that. Just remember that when that whisper comes to you, you know, 
Gee, you're not feeling real good, are you? You're not right on top of your game, are you? Spiritually speaking, you're feeling a bit low, are you? Don't let anyone see that. That whisper, that moment, that voice, that is not from God. You don't have to be super discerning to know that. When you hear that, understand exactly what you have to do. That is the opposite. Say, I need to find somebody right now. I need Christian fellowship right now. I need to push into to my family who I know love me and to whom I belong under the headship of my heavenly father. Gather together. Get with other people. That is why my, my absolute firm belief is I don't particularly care what local expression of church anyone might attend. Please just find one. Because everybody deserves to do life with family. And there is no family richer or stronger or more loving, potentially, than the family of God. So, so let's do it all together. Let's spur one another on. Let's create that proximity. It's one of those things where sometimes it's a discipline, but that discipline becomes a delight. And that delight drives the discipline. It's a, it's a little bit like marriage. Sometimes it's the discipline, but the discipline drives the delight and the, or, or brings about the delight and the delight drives the discipline. That's what family is like. And so that's why we, that's why we do it. Um, how many times in Acts 2.46, guess how often they met together? Every day. Welcome to the new Eltham Baptist. So <laughs> every pastor's dream. All right. Um, okay, maybe every day is, is kind, of, kind of not going to suit all of our schedules. But here's a thought. What if we halve it and round it down to just three? Three connections every week. Three connections with your church family every week. What are they going to be? We would suggest or encourage at least, well, the, the larger gathering where we're kind of kind of able to have a little bit more of a celebratory style of worship. And, and then the more intimate gathering of, of a growth group, we would encourage that. That's where you get to kind of really quiz over the, over the Word of God and, and interact with each other and ask questions and get prayer. But then maybe some sort of a prayer triplet as well, a little accountability group or just a couple of other people that you, you have brekkie with or meet with. Doug, you've been doing it for how long? Two and a half years. Is it a blessing? Blessing. And, and Doug has no socks. <laughs> wow. So somebody get Doug some socks later. But what a blessing. Wow. So we would encourage the larger gathering. We'd encourage a growth group. We'd encourage prayer triplets, BYO socks, at least three connections a week. That's, that's, that's what we'd encourage. But you can be greedy. If you want to make it four connections, do it. Nobody's going to notice. Seriously. Some might. I won't tell. Five is okay. Six is good. Seven, email me. I want to know about it. That's just, that's a great number. Um, you can even come to church twice on a Sunday. I know we didn't used to allow it, but today we are. It's a new us. You can come to church twice on a Sunday. Now, if you're going to do that, this Sunday is a great Sunday. Why? Because... Six, seven, eight, how many people? Six, seven, six. That was six, wasn't it? Five and one. Okay. 
Six people that we know of are, are getting, getting baptized tonight. This is the start of their journey. They're going to get very, very wet as an expression as we're singing before, I'm going to follow Jesus. This is the time where family gathers. If you had to pick a Sunday to double it up, today's the day. Come along and encourage those. We want to pack the place out tonight. So let's do it all together. Be, be still. Oh, by the way, well, no, we'll come back to homework. There's homework with each of these. Be still. Psalm 37, 7. Be still and know that I am God. That, by the way, is not two commands. It's a command and a promise. Sometimes we think two commands. Okay, be still and know that I'm God. I know it. I know it. No. It's a command and a promise. Be still. And there in the stillness will come a moment where you know that he is God. It's a command and a promise. Find time to be still. We need that time of adoration. Because we live in a world that shrinks gods. Our God can never be shrunk, but our perception of him can. We can become so distracted, so preoccupied with other things that, that God gets more and more distant. And as he gets more and more distant, he gets smaller. J.B. Phillips once wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. Our perception of God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And let's face it, when he's reduced to this big, he's hardly worth worshipping, right? So we've got we've to allow him to become large in our imagination and our mind and our being. And that happens through adoration. The more we adore him, the bigger he gets, the more we praise him, the more fearsome he gets. Acts 9.31, the church was recorded to, to have had an awe, a reverence, the word, uh, the word we get from phobia, a fear, a fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing like the, the fear of God to dissolve life's fears. Seriously. Is life daunting? Is life, life fearsome for you? If you fear God, many of those fears will dissolve away. Old Testament gives us that wonderful picture where Israel was facing the Philistines and they just saw one big giant, Goliath. What was different about David? He didn't see Goliath. He saw God. And in your life situations, you need God to get big, really, really big. And it, and it takes time. You've got to be still. You've got to spend time just adoring him and, and letting him become large in your life. And the little things, the fears, they will dissolve away, I promise you, in the light of his enormity. Suddenly you will be worshipping a God who is big enough for any situation you face. And it comes with adoration daily. Where's that time where you are going to be quiet? Where's that time where you are going to be still? Do, do, do you, you know how many things push it out? It's a battle. It really is. 
Uh, sometimes for me, it starts with um, turning off the alarm, making a cup of tea, pulling my phone off the, off the um, little, little pod there, and, uh, and, and just starts with verse of the day. But just before I tap verse of the day, I also think, what's the weather going to be like today? So I tap the weather app instead. And then I see the weather app and, oh, that's fascinating. And then I start to think about the day that's rolling forth and wonder what the breaking news is. So with a swipe of the finger, all of a sudden I'm reading the news. What happened? I was just about to start with verse of the Does anyone else have that experience? Yeah. I'm an expert on the weather. I know exactly what to wear that day. I've got all the breaking news, but a very small God. We've got to... Got to be still, take that time where we don't get distracted by the other apps and the other things, but just this is your time, God. This is your time. I need to be quiet. For me, this is life. You need to become big. Daily, we need that quiet time. I imitate Christ. John 14, 15, you might wonder sometimes, where does the imitation of Christ and abiding in him connect? How does it all connect here? Let me see if I can explain. You know what the greatest commandment for us is. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love is a word that's just been so diluted nowadays. Nobody knows what it means. What does love mean? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Love and obedience are synonymous in God's understandings. You're kind of thinking, oh, how do I love God more? And maybe you're thinking, conjure up a passionate feeling of some description. Well, yeah, yeah, that'll come, but feelings will come after the fact. What's the fact? God has spoken, and I know the path to walk. And as you walk that path, you will find yourself more and more in awe of God and deeply in love with him. The life of obedience is a life of love and, and imitating Jesus Christ is learning how did Jesus live? Let me copy that. To walk obediently in his commands. 2 John 1.6 And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. That's what love is. What's love? To walk in obedience to the commands of God. Do that and you are loving him flawlessly. Wow. Cool, huh? Want to love God more? Just imitate Jesus more and more and more and more and, and learn to obey everything that he had commanded. That's how to do it. Today, we've replaced the pursuit of righteousness with the pursuit of rights. But what about my rights? Apart from the right to be, to be called a son or a daughter of God, there are no rights. There are no rights. It's about his righteousness. The righteousness of God. And he calls us to walk that. He's modeled this, this imitating Christ. Jesus has modeled this twice for us. The first time he modeled the perfect life, he modeled it for you. The second time, he is modeling it through you. Jesus has modeled the perfect life for you. Now he wants to take you as his vehicle, his expression. He wants to model the perfect life through you. And as we imitate him more and more, 
That's exactly what he does. Question number three, what one characteristic of Christ needs to shine more brightly in me over this week? Good time to recap. The first question in terms of abiding and doing that all together was, what three connections will I have with other, other members of the church this week? In terms of being still, what is that part of the day in which I am going to find quietness and time to be still before my God and adore him? Let him become large. Number three, what one characteristic of Jesus Christ needs to shine more brightly in me this week? Maybe just on that one, just pause and close your eyes. See if you can answer that one right now. What one characteristic of Christ needs to shine more brightly in me this week? Maybe you've got something. If not, probably your spouse does. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> one a week. Let's be gentle with each other. <laughs> D, devotion to one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 was a key verse here. I love the way, actually, verse 9, I've got to include this. Love must be sincere. <laughs> Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love, and love must be sincere. Romans 12.10. You know, um, that other reference to John 1, 6. And this is love, to obey his commands. It has a lovely little structure where John builds on that, and then he says, and this is my command, to love one another. It is great. In, in the Greeks, it's a great little structure. This is love, to obey my commands. This is my command, love one another, to love each other. The way to love God is to obey his commands. What does he command? He commands us to love one another. Isn't that great? You see, the picture is here that God has created for his church. And this is why for all of its flaws, for all of its failings, and in all humility, we've just got to admit, you know what? The church not just often frequently gets it wrong. And yet God has this amazing hope based on the power of his Holy Spirit, that ultimately they will get it right. He, he, he knows every now and again the bride running towards her groom trips and falls in the mud and gets dirty. Quite simply, his confidence is he is enough to brush her off, get her on her feet again, and one day present her faultless before the splendor of his glory. There will be a day 
where that journey takes her to an aisle to meet the groom, none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And on that day, she will be spotless. He knows it. He knows it because, because the cross is enough. It's sufficient. It does the job. It's enough to cleanse the bride again and again and again and again and again. He has such confidence. His church will walk that aisle and it will be a splendid marriage. There's going to be an amazing wedding day. God knows it. It's a fait accompli. It's done. His church will get over the line as much as sometimes we wonder. And his ideal here is that the church really is family. That this can be a great experience of family. Now, here's where we have a lot of homework to do. <laughs> but we are to sincerely love one another, for love is sincere. It's to be genuine, it's to be real. It's to cost you. It's supposed to cost you. Loving each other. You know, it's supposed to cost you something. It's going to cost you time or a meal. You're going to be delayed one Sunday because you're lingering and having a chat with someone and being blessed by it. It's going to cost. And how do we do it? Well, the idea is that Eltham Baptist Church, that that when you come in this building, when you fellowship with us, when you're a part of our family, you experience the most sincere, genuine, wonderful sense of love that you have ever experienced before. Now, that might not have happened yet. That's okay. This is aspirational. We've got time. But that's what we're trying to perfect here. We, we want to be the most loving community there is. We want to demonstrate here what family really is. Our, our home situation is, if you like, a, a replica of this. This is not a replica of our home situation. We learn to love one another here and we take it to our homes. Um, this is family. And we need to learn to love one another. And, and, and that's, that's tough. But, but I know I've, I've probably, I didn't know what the number would be, but I probably am, you know, kind of um, probably close to my ceiling of how many people can I be really, really close to? And, uh, you know, of course, us extroverts, you know, we, we tend to have a pretty top, top figure. But I reckon I've reached it. You guys have really challenged me. <laughs> So now what? Do we stop growing? Or do we say, actually, huh, that wasn't something we were ever supposed to delegate to the pastoral team. We can all share that responsibility. You know, hopefully, you still get a smile out of the old guy at the front, but, but, but by and large, my... My real sense of being cared for and loved and so forth comes from the body itself, from, from other people in the fellowship. And it kind of, you know, I just recognize more and more my, my failing to be able to, you know, to, to do any more. 
a little disturbing at first, but I grew more comfortable with that. I think over the last couple of years, I've just realized, Stuart, when did you think it was about you? <laughs> like, that wasn't your job. When did you take that off the shepherd? And I realize now that that's something we all do for one another. Um, how? Well, the five love languages isn't a bad place to, to start, to, to think about those, those love languages, which, you know, we love to apply to our marriages and our families and kids and so forth, but, but quality time. Think about those three connections that we're going to have with one another. Make sure that amidst them, there's quality time. You don't have to connect with everyone every week, but if you connect with someone each week, I think mathematically, and I'm not a genius at this, but no one should miss out. I think. I think that works. If everybody connects with somebody else, and it's not the same person, <laughs> I, I think it works. Nobody will ever, ever feel left out. Does that feel like family to you? Um, I guess it's kind of troubling sometimes, and many of you have felt this from time to time, where you've left church on a Sunday, this gathering of church, and, and feel that you haven't had one of those significant connections. It can hurt a little bit. I would say I'd encourage you, stay the course, stay the course, and let's grow, all of us, let's grow in this, let's get better at this. My prayer is that everyone, every Sunday, will go home feeling blessed. We might not hit that target every week, but let's keep trying, huh? And let's, let's bear with one another. So quality time. Um, gifts. In particular, I like uh, coffee, um, chocolate. Um, yeah, no, that's it. This is pretty simple. Um, <laughs> it might be acts of service. Now, many of you, particularly you, those with the gift of hospitality, just amaze me. I, I just marvel at what you do. But those, those meals that you cook one another, and I see them sometimes swapping hands afterwards, you know, freezer packs going to this family or that tour. It's beautiful. I love that. That's just a beautiful part or aspect of church that is just so lovely to watch. Time, gifts, acts of service. Um, touch, careful on this one. But, but sometimes it's just that, that moment where, hey, I reckon the sideways, sideways hugs is pretty safe, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, generally speaking. Anyway, maybe it's just that encouragement, that pat on the back. Maybe a warm handshake is all somebody needs. Maybe you can touch people in other ways. And of course, um, there's words as well. You'd always touch people with affirming words, encouraging one another. How does that start? Really, really simply, noticing people. That's where it all starts. So a little bit of homework. I said it's going to be a really, really practical Sunday, this one. Again, close your eyes for a moment. Does God bring anyone to mind? Maybe somebody you saw before the service coming in. Maybe somebody you saw during the service. Maybe not somebody they've actually seen today, but somebody that's just on your heart or your mind, and you think, gee, I wonder how they're going. 
Does he bring anyone to mind? Okay, that's enough. I know that temptation to sleep. Stop it. Okay. You've got that person in your mind now. You know what to do. We're just going to notice one another. It starts with noticing each other, and, and we're actually going to get on. We're not going to do the E today. That's, that's for another day. We're there. But our devotion to one another, loving each other, it starts with noticing people. And sometimes noticing those that nobody else notices. Notice that? When we notice people, we allow God, through His Holy Spirit, to use us as that envoy of grace, that, that blessing to them. But let our devotion to one another, let our love for one another, let that sense of family, let's let that be real. As I know it is. But let it deepen. Let's take that to a whole new level. I had a, um, I just, just found out the other night that a, that a dear friend of mine, I haven't seen him, we both live in Melbourne, but ministry means that we don't see each other on a regular basis, Gary Eden. But we were very, very close for a, for a number of years, um, just a great, great friend. And I, I just learned this week that um, um, he, he's an MK, grew up in the Solomon Islands, and he'd just been on a mission trip to Fiji, came home with a bug, a tropical bug, they just could not work out what it was. And, uh, and he passed away um, Friday, Friday week. I, I would have been in the last day of board meetings. There in Thailand, I, I had no idea, but at the Royal Melbourne, he slipped into eternity. He's now with his heavenly father, but he's going to be sorely missed. And I spent the last, last couple of days just thinking about the impact that Gary had on, on my life and the life of many, many others. And uh, to this day, actually, they still don't know what, what the tropical disease was, what it was that, that took him. They tested him for everything they could think of and even uh, uh, put it around the international community, you know, what could this be, and no clues. But at his funeral, which I just watched the podcast last night, his um, middle, middle daughter was giving a little bit of a eulogy, and she said, we don't know why he died but we know why he lived. You know why you're alive. You're alive to bring glory to your Father. That'll happen through a life that is heavy on the vine with fruit because you're deeply connected with Jesus Christ. Every day, no need to ask the question. You know why you're alive. But we must abide in him. So our homework, what three connections are you going to have with your family here at EBC in a given week? That might need a little bit of restructuring and planning to try and make that happen. Might mean a little bit of hospitality. It can be informal as well as formal. Be still. Daily. 
Where's that time that you're going to be quiet before your Lord so that he becomes bigger than the problems you face? Imitate Jesus. He modeled it for you. Now he wants to model it through you. What one characteristic of Jesus Christ needs to shine more brightly in you this week? And indeed, our devotion to one another. Who is that one person that you can touch with the love of God today before you leave? Or perhaps, if they're not here, through this week? Let's pray. We want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that we know why we're alive. We know our life's purpose is to glorify you. And we pray that as we continue to seek to abide in you, to remain in you, stay connected with you and dependent upon you throughout the day, that you would use us to turn this world upside down. It will be far more effective than a military takeover, far more effective than a political election, far more effective than social experimentation, far more effective than the latest slogan far more effective than liking some cause on Facebook. Here's the recipe for real change, for real transformation, for a revolution, for a radical takeover of the world, for your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let it be, Jesus. Let it be. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.